art, business, and community. Those are the ABCs of craft beer, and your host, Brad Mooney, is going to be diving into those subjects that feed our curiosity about craft beer. What is the art of creating those amazing-tasting beverages? What kind of business does it take to run a successful tap house? How do the leaders in the craft beer community show up? And now lastly, what is the involvement of craft beer companies in the communities that they serve? Listen to find out why craft beer is one of the most fun industries around today. So hello and welcome back to the ABCs of craft beer. Uh, I'm Brad Mooney, your host, and today we have Matt Dean from Legend 7 Brewing. Um, he's been in the industry for quite a while, and this should be a very good program today. Um, so, Matt, first off, yes. let's uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got here, and what you know what your position is, and why you're in sure. the craft brew industry. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I got I started in the position of uh, production manager in uh, Alberta in 2017 for uh, Legend Seven, but my my foot in the in the door was back in 2000 and. Uh, Three actually, I started working for Red Truck. Uh, I used to drive their old 1946 GMC truck, delivering eight kegs at a time to a few accounts they had, and I'd only had a four-gallon gas tank, so I basically had to fill had to fill the truck up to get the kegs, fill the truck up to deliver the kegs, fill the truck up to get back to the to get back to the brewery to park it. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting way in. Uh, that was between finishing off. Um, High school, obviously, I'm not a, a natural Canadian. I immigrated here in 2001, finished high school, uh, didn't want to go to university right off the bat, so I got a job, and that was uh, delivering kegs for Red Truck. And then uh, Red Truck, I don't know if a lot of your listeners know, was part of the Mark James Group, and they have a bunch of uh, brew pubs in BC. So I worked at Yelltown Brew Pub and got to meet uh, one of the early, uh, well, I'd say, pioneers of the crappy Renaissance brewers, Ian Hill. Uh, he also owns... Um, strange fellows brewing that's his that's now his uh brew company and cool. uh he he was who i used to i'd uh, open up the, the bar wipe all the tables down get everything ready and he'd be mashing in or mashing out at that point in the morning and i'd just go stand there and pick his brain and every now and then if i was uh, a little uh, slow he'd throw gum boots on me and i'd uh, jump in the mash tun and shovel out the grain and uh drinking craft beer there so that sort of got my feet wet and i i, I really liked craft beer and that sort of started me off on the, uh, the craft beer journey. And then um, I went to Thompson Rivers University in, uh, the, uh, in Kamloops and our parent company, Northam, our main facilities there. And I went to university, which was just down the street from the brewery. And here we are, what are we in 2020? And so that would be 14 years later that I'm uh, still doing the same thing. Cool. So most yeah. of that whole thing is, is experience being in yes. the industry and, and that's how yeah. you became the brewmaster? Yeah, I didn't actually uh, know I wanted to brew beer. I always liked drinking beer. I mean, it's a little different now. Actually, one of my employees just uh, graduated from Olds College. So he, uh, he's 22. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. Whereas at 22, I was still figuring out where I was going. I went to school for uh, the B BBA in business administration for sales and marketing. So it came in handy working in the, in the brewing industry because I have with this company had my feet wet in all aspects. I was a territory manager for two years. I brewed up in Kamloops. I uh, was the main lead filtration operator for three years. Um, I ran the Whistler Brewing Company for six years. And then, uh, and then during that time, uh, our company paid for me to do uh, some online courses through Cyber out of Chicago. And that just sort of gave me a little bit more background layering to uh, the craft beer. But uh, 
basically hard school and ox. I learned from Jody Hamill, who was an ex big rock employee, Ian Hill, and then met a lot of other brewers along the way that uh, I've picked their brains and spent a lot of time on, uh, on the internet. There's a valuable amount of resources there and trial and error. I, I sort of uh, brew like I cook a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And <laughs> then I reverse engineer the science later to see what I see what I'm getting. So I'm more of a, um, a crab, I'd say I'm a craft brewer. I, I, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I don't uh, rely too heavily on science. I can re-engineer the, the recipe back to get the science out of it. Yeah. So there are analytical brewers, which uh, a friend of mine went to um, uh, London and went to got his brewmaster certificate there, and he's just a wealth an encyclopedia of uh, of analytical information and statistics and calculations, and he's very he approaches brewing beer to myself very differently. Well, yeah, and that fits right into our stuff about the you know the art business and community mm-hmm. of, of of the podcast. So, uh, when you're making your new beer and all that, do you like do you make sort of pilot sizes or smaller sizes until you get it right or like how does that whole process work of, of taking something like let's throw this in and see if it's any good yeah uh, sure uh up until i moved to uh, alberta and calgary and got a little two hectoliter pilot system every test brew i did was uh full scale so for full scale for us was two thousand liters so oh, that's um, a lot <laughs> yeah it's great yeah, if it yeah. works but uh, <laughs> oh yeah 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 uh, luckily i had uh luckily um any recipe I did do, whether it was approved or not, was good enough that we would just uh, sell it at something in the tap house at the time as a as a pilot. But I have had some uh, home runs without uh, without having secondary test brews. Um, luck of the draw. I mean, I feel every brewer has an innate ability. It just depends on how you can tap into that. And uh, uh, I like flavors. I I don't just make a recipe by throwing grain together. I literally eat the grain to see what flavors I'm going to get. I smell the hops. I'm very, uh, you know, I get a hands-on approach to it. And, um, and then also brewing by the time I was creating recipes, my very first recipe I created for Whistler Brewing was in 2012. So by that point, I'd already had five years of brewing experience. So I knew what uh, percentages of malts would affect uh, the brew, what types of hops, when to add hops, what types of hops are going to give me flavors I wanted. So I had a pretty good background of, uh, uh, analytical knowledge, let's say, on the ingredients. So when I first came up with Lost Lake IPA, which was my very first uh, recipe, uh, some of you listeners might have had it or not. So it's changed a little bit over the years as recipes do. We tweak them. Um, but uh, that was my very first recipe, and that was a shot in the dark. I, I created the recipe, went to brew it, and by and large, the first first shot was the uh, the recipe we ended up with. Yeah, it was unfiltered at the time. Now it's filtered. That's pretty much the only change that happened. Okay, well, I guess yeah. uh, you're the brewmaster at Legend Seven. Uh, That's right. How what what beers do you brew? And yeah, tell us a little bit more about the you know your selection sure. there. Uh, so Legend Seven, we uh, we have a few core beers. We have a pale ale, the Patience. Uh, we have Dark Gate, which is uh, Porter. Uh, we have uh, Envy, which is our Pilsner Serpents, um, and then we have a Saison, which is Superbia. And then we have a new one coming out uh, in the next six weeks or so uh, called Opus, which is a table beer. So a sessionable 4% uh, sort of um, filtered wheat beer, um, much like uh, what the Europeans would drink after work. Uh, you know, not too high in alcohol, but uh, plenty of flavor. And wheat beers are my bread and butter. They're probably my favorite. So Legend 7, we play off the number seven. Um, that's sort of where the craft and marketing and art come into it. So um Every beer right now is running on the uh, sins and virtues. So patience 
is our only virtue. Easier to sin than it is to be virtuous. Uh, <laughs> so our Pilsner is actually our, probably our most successful uh, beer. It won a, uh, sorry, I've got the award over there. It won a 2018 World Beer Award gold medal for Canada's best Pilsner. So that was my first year brewing that recipe for Legend 7. So it was, it was a nice little pat on the back to receive a, a nice award like that just to, you know, let me know I was going in the right direction. I, that's probably the recipe I spent the most time on um, maybe going that approach of uh, more analytical than uh, by feel. I knew what I wanted to make, but I kept running the numbers to make sure I was hitting statistics that I wanted for the Pilsner. Um, and I lucked out Calgary's water that I, that I use here really helped to make a, a really good Pilsner. So that's the one we sell the most. And then the one I'm most proud of that uh, we have at Legend 7 is our Dark Gate Porter. Um, I just like dark beers. There's, you can get so many complex flavors out of them. And uh, our porter, I, I made sure it was sessionable. I, any beer I make, if anybody's followed my career or seen the beers I've made, I try to make beer that is craft but approachable for the new craft beer drinker. And then those that like the 8% and you know the strong beers that want the crazy breads and sours, I try to make sure that they'll appreciate the beer that I have. And it's maybe more of their sessionable beer, not one that they sit around and geek over. Um, again, I want to make sure people buy as much of my product or our product as possible. It's great making uh, a beer that uh, the beer geeks go crazy over, but unfortunately the beer geeks aren't the ones paying the bills as much as they are the ones giving you the street cred. They're the ones that tell everybody about your product that gets the, the casual beer drinker into it. So I try to find that line of keeping them happy as well as the, uh, as well as the uh, entry-level craft beer drinker. So, well, yeah, that's yeah. one of the parts about craft beer. You need you need some good solid ones for the stable yeah. you know, base stuff. But mm -hmm. then then there's some weird things you can try occasionally now and then. And yeah, I, yeah. Oh, mm. I love experiment. Uh, the craft beer industry. I mean, when I first started, we were all on the 15, 16. You know, we only brew with the four ingredients. And now, if you're doing that, you're being left behind in the in the dust. You've got to constantly be coming up with new flavors, new adjuncts to throw into your recipes. Um, and then that's where the marketing comes into it as well, where you've got to impress the buyer to grab that bottle or grab that can and take it off the shelf. And then the liquid will speak for itself if you've done your, done your job. And then hopefully you've got a re return customer. Right. So yeah, get them in and get them to taste it and try yeah. it. And yes. <clears throat> so tell us a little bit more about Legend of Seven. What's the story? How did that happen? How did sure. Yeah. So that was the brainchild of one of our, uh, uh, one of our owners. Uh, he wanted to bring art and craft together um, so that he could tell a story with each beer. So we, that's why we started off with the, the sins and virtues. Um, so uh, Pilsner, for example, which we were talking about before is envy. So playing off the sin of envy um, and actually, excuse me one second, I can grab a little bit of moving. I can show you a little bit of artwork while we're doing this. You can see here, this is the artwork for the legend seven for the Pilsner. And so that's Envy right there. There's the serpent string around there. And we, uh, we made sure we went out and got a, um, uh, uh, an artist. Her name's Wiley Beckett. She's out of Seattle. And uh, all this art was commissioned uh, by Legend 7 uh, for her to make. So she, we've got the originals. And then um, effectively what you see on the bottle is her artwork. So when we move into other series of seven, so Seven Wonders of the World, uh, Seven Seas, etc., you'll we'll start to... Uh, feature local artists already trying to find some local artists for the next set of seven. We haven't still finished the, uh, the envies, uh, the envy and the, sorry, the uh, sins and uh, virtues, but um, we'll eventually get into other ones. I believe uh, the table beer is Opus. 
So that's on the seven hands, seven uh, musical notes. So um, yeah, we're going to try and basically limitless with uh, ways of telling story with beer. So uh, on the back of all of our bottles, we are moving to cans, but on the back of the cans and bottles, there'll be a little story about, uh, about each beer and how the uh, liquid ties into the, the story of the, the picture or the, the art design on the can and the bottle. So, um, yeah, and I think uh, our, our marketing team has done an amazing job with the labeling and design uh, of Legend 7. It's by far one of the cooler ones that I've seen. Right, and you, you talk about the art and craft colliding there. Yes. Uh, and as far as we're concerned, you're, you're sort of taking the art two different ways. The art of yes. making the beer and then the art, literally art on, on, on the, the bottle. bottle. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> story, yes. Uh, it's fantastic, so yeah. yeah. So we are, we are um, people do request uh, the art from the bottle. So we, uh, we do have some uh, posters right now. We are making up some canvas. As you saw, what I was holding up was just a sample of a canvas print. So we can start selling the artwork for people to take home, put on their walls. Um, yeah, again, just trying to do something a little different in, in, the, in a saturated craft beer industry uh, that happened over the last you know 15 years. It's uh, increased exponentially. You've got to do things to make yourself stand out and you can do it in one of two ways, the liquid, but that takes some uh, time. You've got to have word of mouth to get people to drink it. And then as we all know, when you go into a store, the, uh, the packaging can get you to pick it up off the shelf and then the liquid will keep you picking it back up off the shelf at subsequent returns. So, right now. So, so let's talk a little bit about the business. Um, For sure. You guys, you mentioned you, you, you have bottles, so you're actually producing yes. and bottling Yes. Yeah. We're actually transitioning away from bottles. Um, while the bottles look very uh, premium and nice, the labels look fantastic on the bottle. Uh, the craft beer industry is really pivoted to cans and that sort of, I would say started with the mobile uh, canning companies. Uh, Vessel is the biggest one that I can think of. Uh, and they sleeve cans for, for small breweries. So it's cheaper to buy uh, just regular we're called steel bullets, which is uh, silver bullets, excuse me, which is just the blank canvas of a can. And then uh, Vessel will shrink wrap a uh, design over top for you. So if you ever see a can that's got a plastic cover on it, it's usually done by one of those companies. And then you don't have to spend a quarter of a million dollars on setting up a production line. You just have to have a bit of space in your uh, brewery. They'll come in and basically unravel their canning line like an accordion. And uh, they'll clean everything, sanitize, hook up to your tank, and they'll guarantee losses and they'll package for you. So small breweries that can't afford to get into packaged now can um, kegs. Obviously we know with the current situation uh, on premises sort of taken a bit of a nosedive. So I think the mobile canning and the ability for smaller uh, breweries to get their product into retail has definitely allowed us to uh, us. Uh, we have our own canning line and bottling line, but um, the smaller breweries that allowed them to keep their head above water during this, uh, this bit of a tumultuous time. Okay, so that's a, that's a business type of decision to use yeah. the cans and get into that? That's, exactly. That's uh, yeah, the, yeah, the market share of cans is uh, BC really led the way with the cans. Uh, when we started back in 2006, it was all bottles. Uh, Whistler, we did a clear glass bottle for uh, our lager and oh, that was a nightmare trying to make sure that uh, you used, uh, we had to use what's called a tetra hop, which is a hop that's not light sensitive so that... Uh, you wouldn't skunk the beer, but then we found we were getting calcium uh, deposits in the bottom. So you get these little white flakes, which weren't bad. They were just a byproduct of, of the hop. Um, and again, this was back when we didn't really have a lab that uh, could uh, figure out how to fix these problems. So we just had 
a nightmare with clear bottles. It looked great in, you know, in the, the oh, whole yeah. thing looked great, but then just the, the, the pain and suffering we went through keeping the, uh, the product, um, as crystal clear as we could. And the market has changed too. I remember when I was, uh, in 2008, when I moved into, I was brewing and sales, I was actually going to university doing brewing and sales at the time. So I don't know how I slept, but I, I obviously <laughs> managed to make it through it. Um, and got married during all that time as well. So yeah, I don't know how youthful enthusiasm, I think. Um, I used to have people calling me about uh, wheat ale going, Oh, it's cloudy. You know, uh, nobody would, <laughs> nobody would think that a wheat beer being cloudy is a bad thing in, uh, in 2020, but in 2008, I can assure you, I dealt with customer complaints about the beer going bad for it being hazy. Again, just, uh, you know, consumer education has uh, exponentially increased uh, since then. Yeah. Well, yeah, the original thing was the brown bottles to keep the ultraviolets out. Exactly. Right? That's right. So we, we pivoted a year, a year or so later when we were just like, we can't keep up with all the recalls. And, you know, this is you know, growing pains. You know, you want to produce a beer. We were looking at competing with Stella and Heineken, like that's where we wanted Whistler to be a premium uh, international brand. But uh, within two years of starting out with that uh, mindset, the craft community completely changed. It was not, it was not big international beers. It was local support your local brewery, drink something very unique to that area. Um, and then it's just grown since then. So yeah, oh, yeah, we've had to do it. We've had to do a few uh, over my 15 years or 16 years in the industry, a lot of uh, pivoting to, meet market changes and cans being the most uh, recent one and biggest one. Um, Ontario is still uh, more bottle uh, heavy, but uh, BC and Alberta, it's, you know, again, I'm not sure exactly on the numbers, but I feel like it's 80% cans to 20% bottles. Now. Um, I know I don't buy bottles when I go to the liquor store anymore. It's all cans. Well, yeah, they're, they're quicker to cool and they're easier to recycle. So yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and being in Whistler for the last six years, we did go on hikes and uh, taking cans hiking is a little bit better than uh, taking bottles hiking. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Practical reasons too. <clears throat> so legends of seven, uh, yes. you guys have one brewery. We, we, yeah, legend seven, one brewery. Yeah. We're located in uh, the Highfield industrial park in, uh, in Calgary. So yeah, in Calgary, Amanda, Alberta. Yeah, yeah right. that's right. And, and uh, do you have a tasting room, tap room we, restaurant? We do. Yeah, we do. We have a 140 seat tap house, full kitchen, full kitchen. We're fully licensed, uh, though we don't treat the tap house as a restaurant. Um, we are looking at pivoting to uh, turn our tap house into more of a restaurant feel, offering wine and spirits and all. We're li fully licensed for it, but lately we've just been serving some canned product of um, of those vodka sodas and uh, uh, spiked ice, iced teas like hay oil, et cetera, uh, just to give other people an option to that don't drink beer when they come in. And then some craft pops, et cetera, kombucha, stuff like that. Um, and then obviously our beer. And then we, we have 12 taps. So we try to uh, take another uh, local brewery and have a rotating tap on. So uh, if you come to us, you can still get another, uh, another local brewery's beer on tap that uh, something that we don't provide. So we don't typically do a lot of sours here, which we, uh, I was doing some pilot brews last year, getting some sours out and uh, we will eventually get a, a, a full release on a sour, but people request a sour if we don't have one it's good to feature uh other breweries in town that we respect and and like their products so we put them on tap too and we try to share the love i mean we're all you know fighting each other for market share but at the same time we're all arm in arm against the uh the big three corporate ones that uh, we all have to fight so you know there's friendly competition in there um you can't get away from that well actually uh, it's and it's one of the things that i really love about the craft brew industry that i've seen and experienced so far is that yes 
you are competition in one respect, yeah. but there's, there's such a, everybody working together and, and camaraderie, you know, because what is it less than 10% of the entire beer is actually craft beer brew at this yeah. point. Yeah. So so we're, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to me, the competition is really the big guys, right? Yes. Yeah. And we're, like, there's only a certain amount of pipe and beer drinking really hasn't seemed to increase too much. You know, we're, we're basically wedging ourselves in and doing this to, to the market share, taking more of the, uh, the big boys share. And then unfortunately with their ability to uh, with, uh, the almighty dollar, they'll go in and they'll, they'll buy up the, you know, rising stars of the, of the craft beer community, so to speak. And not all of them will sell out, but, um, it has happened. We like, you know, Legion got bought out in the States. Uh, Sleeman's obviously, uh, I think about a decade ago, got bought out by Sapporo. Wild Rose just got bought out recently in the last year. Uh, even a small great brewery, Banded Peak, just got bought out by Labatt's uh, at the end of last year or beginning of this year. So, you know, it, uh, they, they, I always find it funny. They have the, the millions and billions of dollars to create craft beer, but instead of doing it properly, they just go buy other people's. Uh, you know, I guess they see that as the, uh, the way in without having to put too much effort in. Yeah. Well, and I guess they can cherry pick uh, the ones yeah. that are successful, which ones they want. right? Yeah. Which ones yeah. are making good product. Um, yeah. So. As long as they don't adulterate, the, you know, adulter the, uh, the product, which unfortunately does happen. Granville Island, when I first moved to Canada, that was the beer I was drinking. And it was a great craft beer. It was a big craft beer, but it was a good craft beer. And then when Molson took it over, it, I definitely noticed a, a uh, so while the quality is still high, don't forget that craft, uh, sorry, um, big macro breweries, exceptional about ability to make the same beer over and over and over again and make it the taste the same all over the world. So their, their ability to do that is unparalleled, but in doing so you do sacrifice a bit of that intangible umami to the beer. You know, you're going to lose that character that made it so good. The biggest one I can think of is the, the Granville Island lions lions, uh, winter ale. When I first yeah. tasted that it was fantastic. And then as the years progressed, it moved from being probably uh, real vanilla uh, to some flavorings and it just, it got too sweet and I, it, I stopped drinking it because it just wasn't the product that uh, I purchased in the beginning. So it's, but don't get me wrong, market wise and share, it sells really well. So, you know, again, this is the craft beer drinker loving the original geekier beer and now it's more macro and more approachable for, for uh, other entry level beer drinkers because we got to remember that uh, we're not the predominant beer drinkers. It's the casual beer drinker that drinks the majority of the beer. So, Well, and I think yeah. this is all an evolution of the whole industry, right? So yeah. people will get fall off the top and the new ones will come in. That's right. But it's all, to me, it, the, the big experience is, is the flavors and the whole, yes. like it's, it's, it's completely different than the Heineken that does the, you know, the yeah. reverse osmosis and keeps their product exactly the same the everywhere same. in the world. Well, you know, there, there's times when you want to taste something different. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. That's exactly what got me into it. Um, I used to think Stella was the, was the beer. And then I actually moved when I moved to North America, obviously I was 17 when I got here. So drinking was happening as we all know, 17, 18 year olds are dabbling into beer at that time. And, uh, I knew I didn't like the big macro beers. Molson didn't interest me. Uh, Labatt's didn't really interest me when I got here. Actually, Moosehead was the very first Canadian beer I'd ever had. And I thought, okay, this isn't too bad. And then I got here and realized that, oh, that's a macro beer. There's so much other, other beer to drink. But uh, back in the early thousands, it was cream ales, uh, best bitters, um, uh, North American lagers. There weren't, IPAs were hard to find. 
um, you know, the hot bombs that we have today, sours, Brett beers, none of that existed. It was very, I would say, English in the beer styles were what I found were the most around red ales, brown ales, porters. Um, and then, yeah, basically around 2010, that's when I found that the IPA boom happened in BC anyway. And uh, it's just gone since then. It's been sours and Brett's and now it's constantly trying to predict the next trend, um, trying to stay ahead of the curve so that you're, uh, you know, relevant in the, in the beer scene. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I guess that's one thing I like about the whole craft beer is that there's flavor for everybody. There's, there's yes. things you can try. Um, but some of the stuff, yeah, I, I would say I don't like. <laughs> yeah. It's happened to <laughs> right? me too. Yeah. But that's okay. If other people yeah. like it, they're fine. You know, well, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta find the limit and see, you know, uh, see how far you can go beyond it, what people are going to drink or, you know, find that limit and go, okay, that was a little too far. And, you know, maybe the next rendition is a little more approachable. Um, one that I can think of was um, Voodoo Donut out of Rogue Brewing. This is years ago. They, it was their first or second rendition of their Voodoo Donut, which was a smoked um, maple beer of some sort. And they used so much smoke malt. It tasted like an ashtray to me. I had one sip. I had one sip and I'm like, oh, I can't do it. And I love like an Isla Scotch for me is one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, whiskeys to drink. So I love the peaty, the smoky, but it was just, they went too far. They, you know, I couldn't taste anything else but smoke. So you don't know until you try, right? So. Well, yeah, the sour stuff is, is uh, <laughs> a lot of that's too sour for me, but. Too sour for you. Yeah. Yeah. Most of it. But Anyway, um, mm-hmm. I guess we haven't talked too much about the community. But you, yes. not, you are in Calgary. You have your yes. local, local tap, tap. So I, I assume mm-hmm. you're serving the community around the That's tap right. place. Yep. Um, and your beer is out there in, in the stores in Alberta? Yep. Yeah, we're in co-op, Sobeys. Um, uh, we're in some of the legacy liquor stores, um, Olympia liquor stores. Uh, really, if you find a local liquor store and doesn't have us and you'd like to try us, you can request it. They'll, they'll bring in a case for you. Typically, it's a case minimum that you'll have to do. Uh, but we're in all the big chain ones. Thankfully, we have a really good sales team. So, um, you know, uh, they've been really, they've had to adapt, obviously, over the last uh, few months doing sales from much like we're doing right now over, over Zoom or, uh, or um, over the telephone. So it's been hard for them. Uh, to keep selling, but you know, they've just been slogging away on the telephone, making sure that they can talk to retail stores, let them know the products we're going. And for us, it worked out uh, that we're doing that transition from bottles to cans. So we built up an inventory of bottles and we've allowed, it's allowed us to um, take a step back and decommission the bottling line and set up the canning line. So we lucked out with the COVID crisis. Uh, um, it allowed us to retail, kept us alive, thankfully. And um, it's allowed us to pivot from uh, bottles to cans. And then the sales team, uh, they're finally now back out selling so they can go back out and talk to customers directly on premises slowly, as we know, starting to get back into the swing of things. Um, so our sales team, are, yeah, they're both, um, one of them's born and raised Calgarian. So he's got a lot of ties to the community. And uh, our other is a, uh, is a Newfoundlander, but has been in Alberta for 15 years and is fully, fully outside of his accent, like myself, has turned into, a, into an Albertan. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we actually defined that you actually are from Australia originally. But, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you've, uh, you've lost most of your accent. You sound like a very good Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I love Canada. I mean, I love Australia, but uh, no, Canada's home. Um, I'd say the first six years I was here, I thought I'd go back. And then, um, yeah, around mid-20s, right before I had my daughter, I knew I didn't want to leave. Um, I, like, I like Canada. Canada's home. Um, 
inked it on my skin. I've got a Canadian maple <laughs> leaf. It's got a little tie to Australia in the in the tattoo, but yeah, no canvas home. Um, and uh, I'm glad it's home too. Uh, craft beer in Australia is still another ten years behind here. So you know, I'm I'm telling all my Australian family what the next craze is going to be for them, so they can get ahead of the curve. So yeah, oh. yeah. And then no, sorry, you were talking about the community. Uh, so we do. <laughs> We got a little sidetracked, but yes, uh, we try to be as involved in the community as possible. Uh, we have uh, Fratello Coffee, which is next door. Um, we did, we would have been doing right now if Stampede was going on, doing the Stampede breakfast with Fratello Coffee. We did that last year with them. We would have done it again this year. Um, we did a collab with um, Ill-Fated Customs and Filled and Forge just recently. Um, uh, it's called Kickstarter, which is a really light, awesome drinking uh, North American lager. It's crushable, fantastic. Um, the Field and Forge guys did a really good job on that. So, as you know, with collabs, one brewery types takes on the lion's share, and then the other brewery gets to go there and, you know, have a good time while we make the beer. Uh, so we've done some with the barley belt as well. Back uh, when we were doing all of that, um, we did a um, we did a brown saison, a dark saison with uh, the barley belt crew. So that was all of the breweries around our, our area. So that involved. Um, uh, born Colorado, Banded Peak, Annex, all of those breweries in our neighborhood. Um, we've done a few collabs with Last Best, fantastic brew pub. They make great beer as well. They're Jasper Pills, which is part of their big company. That was actually one of the Pilsners I drank coming up with my recipe. I tried to drink uh, all of the local craft Pilsner that I could to see what, what Albertans were drinking. Um, oh, yeah, I got, got yeah. tested, right? Exactly. Oh, no, it's a hard job. Somebody's got to do it. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did try to keep mine a little more Czech-style pills. So if you've ever had, if anybody of your listeners have had my Pilsner, uh, it is a little drier, more Pilsner Arkell-like, because that is one of my go-to uh, European uh, lagers. If I'm going to have a Pilsner that's a quintessential European Pilsner, I prefer the Pilsner Arkell. Um, over the Stellas and the Heineken's and, and uh, Vorsteiner, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, um, that was, uh, so yeah, that's where we're at. And uh, unfortunately right now, community is a little tight. Uh, everybody's sort of um, waiting till the world opens up again so we can start doing some stuff together. Um, right. But luckily we are a bigger brewery and kegs. Um, for us, we had an inventory of kegs to last us through this uh, through this uh, tumultuous time, but uh, I've been helping out a few of the local breweries at Uncommon Cider. I've been cleaning some kegs for them just to help them out because they don't have a keg cleaner. Um, Patrick over at um, Outcast helped him out cleaning some kegs. So while you know we're not really doing um, any community events, I'm trying to do the best I can with my facility to help out the, the smaller guys around town because again, I don't want to see people lose their businesses and their livelihoods. And if me cleaning some kegs for somebody allows them to keep selling products, then, you know, it's the least I can do. Yes. Great. So yeah. And then the, again, that community in the industry, mm -hmm. uh, your tap room, when it does open, you have yes. draft there, all your own. Full kegs. draft. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and we people have people come in and, and yep. sample a different, like. Absolutely. We do flights. Kinds. Yep. Yep. We do a flights beer on tap here that you can't get anywhere else. So again, I get to, I have a little two, two hectoliter pilot system. So I actually, Unfortunately, just barrel. I had a Britannomyces aged uh, wine barrel porter that I did uh, for six months over winter and was ready to release it when the world shut down. So I have this fabulous beer that I've made sitting in the wings waiting to, uh, waiting to be tapped and ready for when the tap house does open. So there'll be a three or four beers on tap that you can't get anywhere else uh, when we do open. Okay. And I assume going to the, your website at legend7brewing.com yes. is, is That's correct. the best way to to find yep. out what's on tap what's there yep. 
Yeah. Instagram, Twitter, all those, all the other social media we're on as well. Facebook. Okay. Yeah. And I assume you have growlers as well, or we do. We do growler fills. Uh, we fill everything with. Uh, the only thing we won't fill with growlers will be uh, some of the specialty beers we come up with when we only have one or two kegs. So we uh, we try right. to limit growler sales on that because we want to make sure that uh, people can try it when they come into the tap house. But everything else uh, is open for growler fills: sixty-four ounce, thirty-two ounce. Um, we're doing online sales right now. Our kegs, where uh, we've got good deals on kegs. So if anybody's interested in a keg for your for your backyard party, social distance parties, we have plenty of kegs for sale. So uh, you can check us out online for for prices and uh, and how to do that. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's legend7brewing.com. That's correct. Uh, well, Matt Dean, it was great to have you on. Thank yeah, you thanks, very Brad. much. Uh, My pleasure. I guess we would say people should go down to your tap room in Calgary and yep. you know taste and figure it out themselves whether they love your product yep. or not. So thanks very much. Uh, no, thank you. So, Brad Mooney from the ABCs of Craft Beer. That's the art, business, and community. Another podcast in the books. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our show. We're glad you had a chance to join us. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating. We like fives. And share with your friends. You can also hear our past shows on our website at craftbrewmarketingagency.com.